0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: Hello and welcome to the Phileas Club, the show where we get people from around the world to tell you how they saw the news in the past month. This is episode 42 for December 2011. Hello everyone, and welcome to the Phious club and maybe even more importantly, happy new year come on guys happy new year uh,
2: I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how does it work. Happy New Year when you just said it's <laughs> december
1: and because what we're now what when does happy new Year stop? I mean we're what you know deep into the new year already that's true that's true we did, we are
0: recording it's already January what seven yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so I did say, but but you know, it's still. It's the I first Phileas club of
2: the new year, so therefore.
0: It's there warranted. you go. Thank and, you. And
2: we, we don't celebrate New Year in, in Saudi Arabia. It's haram, forbidden. Come on, oh, we don't we really? don't celebrate this. Yeah, stop stop it's, bullshitting. It's forbidden. <laughs>
0: Yes, well, I it's, guess a, it a,
2: it's some stupid Christian thing you just made up to make all the world to follow your belief system and all of that stuff. You, you Christian people are unbelievable trying to control the to, world. To
0: control everything—that's true. But yeah. yeah, I guess. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm being silly. Of course, it wouldn't be permitted. It is a very Christian thing. So, um, but you know, it it passed into civil society. It's now our calendar. Well, it's not yours, I guess. What year is it nope. for you? For us, it's 14.33. (laughs) But, okay, so, okay, first of all, first let's introduce the hosts. Of course, you've uh, heard and rejoiced at the triumphant return of Turkey, who's been out for uh, two episodes because of his faulty memory chips
2: inside his head. Uh, Ah, what? One episode faulty memory chip. The other one, I was in Korea. Okay,
0: well, so (laughs) you were in Korea, and then all of a sudden... The dear leader, you know, passes mm. away. So. I'm, I'm, hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm
2: afraid I'm not allowed to comment on that matter.
0: Okay. All right. Yeah that's uh, really? <laughs> are you serious? No, okay. no. I was like maybe because you said you were going in South Korea but uh that's <laughs> what spies say when they go and do business. Um, and uh Eric which you might not have recognized because he uh was on only once in July already. How I know, are you It's doing, been a long Eric? time. Wonderful. It's great to be back. So Eric is possibly the uh, most serious journalist journalisty person i try not to be too serious so <laughs> well you just told me that you are now officially the editor-in-chief of digital media at uh, france 24 which is an international news channel that's so right. you're
1: so web mobile the whole yeah. kind of anything that's not television really
0: so you're, you're you're and as everyone knows television is sort of you know uh, uh leaving uh, ground for digital anyway. So basically, yeah, you're sort of
1: a a real journalist, kind of. Kind of a real journalist. (laughs) I would hope after 25 years now, I'm finally making it into the club, so... So, as, uh, as uh,
0: may- maybe a few uh, listeners don't know because they didn't listen to the uh, episode we did in uh, July, um, so you're based in Paris, but you're mostly a specialist of China and Africa. And yeah. you're an American, uh, part American, part other things. That's right. And,
1: and uh, you know, I spent 10 years reporting in China and in Asia for the Associated Press, the BBC, okay. and CNN, among others, and then. Uh, You know, landed in Paris via the Congo and, you know, while in the Congo, kind of fell upon the huge trend that's underway now across Africa of Mm. the growing Chinese presence there. And so I blog and tweet and podcast on that.
0: So you will sort of be on uh, double slash triple slash quadruple duty because you'll be sort of the uh, token American and then the specialist on uh, Asian matters and also the guy who knows about Africa. And Good. you're in France too, so
1: well I'm used to living in Paris being the token American and getting <laughs> beat up that way, so that's a familiar <laughs> territory so let let's uh let's get it on so we, I, I, did... I, I hope you'll beat the parisians back <laughs> it's you know the Parisians you know... beating them back is really kind of a sport that that's that's not even that hard French <laughs> the French, yeah, are, 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 a, the, the French not, are just I'm so sure cute. It's a fun, fun sport it's
2: a very much a lot of fun in that sport. A lot People of what? It. it's a lot of fun, and plus the French are very good at losing. So, Probably oh, I, I love you too, Turkey. <laughs> hey, by the way, my mom is in Paris. <laughs> oh, she is. Yeah.
0: Well, if she needs anything, she knows who she can call, and by that I mean Eric. <laughs> yeah. Here okay. We go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Talking about the the token American, uh, we're gonna start. Uh, talking about actual topics soon Um, before that I wanted to say that I uh, said on Google Plus that we were going to start recording the show and uh, for the first time ever I just uh, asked what do you guys think we should talk about I think a a third, uh, two thirds of the people were saying uh, the Iowa caucuses so yeah we can uh, mention that Excellent. so yeah we'll talk about that a little bit later but for now, let's start with uh, the death of Kim Jong Il. Kim, it's it's pronounced Kim Jong Il, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so Kim Jong Il, uh, he was he was sick. Do, do, for, do we even care what house pronounced? The guy's dead. Good riddance. <laughs> Well <laughs> okay um well good riddance I guess <laughs> but it's not so sure because I'm not I'm not exactly sure how it's going to go now, from now on because his son is sort of trapped in the system anyway and it's not even certain he would want to change it he's been you know like all of those uh dictators' uh, offsprings, he's been educated in Europe, but he still seems like he hasn't shown any sign of wanting to change the direction of his uh, oppressive regime. And even if he wanted to, it would be kind of difficult because the country is not just one person leading it, even though his father's personality was, you know, enormously important for the the, uh, country. There's still the military infrastructure and administrative infrastructure, which is one class of people uh, having enormous interest in making sure that things don't change. So I'm sort of getting into it uh, uh, very quickly here, but um, Kim Jong-il, he passes away. Uh, it was sort of expected because he had been sick for a while. Um, they, okay, before I get into what how we perceived it in France, uh, I'm going to turn to Turkey, and for some reason I would think, maybe it's your personality turkey but i have a feeling that saudi arabia as a whole doesn't care about this at all and i'm sure it's you know just me having weird ideas but
2: is it is it like it it depends on what and what way you mean it doesn't care about it at all if you mean that saudis look at it and think well it's important it affects us or something yeah definitely most saudis would not care is it a big deal? Yeah. So these love politics. They love talking politics. So from that perspective, yeah, it's a big news for everybody that he okay. died. I think I think everybody around me was shocked and everybody was talking about that guy died. This guy died. What's going to happen? Why and shocked? And so on. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's a surprise news. It's not like they keep track of South Korea, North Korea. Sorry, they don't keep track of the news there. For them, this is the guy who's who's uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, try to find it in a nice way. Well, there's no nice way. Who's uh, f- screwing the U.S.? So, uh, well, he's
0: screwing the U.S. I think yeah, that's I a know. how strong. is he screw How is he screwing the U.S.? Yeah.
2: Uh, U.S. can't even dare and invade his country. It's very good at invading Iraq and Afghanistan. Oh, they don't so have you mean their he's... weapons? But yeah, but well but there's, now there's the, the real, the real, real threat. They don't even go to him.
0: Yeah, there's well, yeah. I would say I think saying that uh, Kim Jong Il was the one screwing the U.S. is a little bit strong because there's definitely you know the shadow of the literal and figurative Big Brother. Well, not literal, but. You know, nineteen eighty four Big Brother and uh uh just a lie big brother uh China right behind them and that's why they probably don't want to do anything drastic about it. But saying that, Kim Jong il but I guess I guess it's true, ah. it's the, it's the one country that's that's you know, really resisting any kind of along with Iran maybe, but uh resisting let, any uh, come on. Uh,
2: let, let us let us take North Korea and you can have Taiwan. China would say okay. okay. Go for it.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I guess, but we're not... If we, Hey, you're mm. the one who needs uh, to replace your faulty memory chips. So if they have Taiwan, it's going to be a problem. Just saying. They make all the memory chips. Okay, was it a silly joke? Um, so, yeah, so I guess...
2: <laughs> I guess they have all the memory chips. That's the big deal. Come on. We have yeah. a very good relationship with Chinese That's true. in this country. So we that don't really true. don't care. <laughs> That is true,
0: um, but yeah. So that's interesting. Seeing him as the guy who's sort of uh, resisting the U.S. or who was resisting the U.S. It's kind of uh, it's kind of interesting um, for us. It was never really. It's not seen. He North Korea and Kim Jong Il weren't seen as the guys. You know, heroic. Not heroically but you know valiantly resisting and doing what they wanted they are absolutely crazy dictators and we s- often have sort of a semi concerned semi funny view of the of the country because uh, amused is the word I would choose maybe because, you know, he is very eccentric and he had those delusions of being a great director, uh, director in the sense of mm. a movie director. Yeah,
2: I, I, I think the biggest problem in North Korea is that uh, the people of North Korea, the majority of them are brainwashed. They actually believe in all of the propaganda they hear. Mm. Well, so, so yeah, that's, 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 that's the that's other thing, I That's problem of trying to going to North Korea, if, if the people aren't ready, you need to educate and uh, try yeah. to get the people ready for this before you can even try to overthrow a government.
0: So it's definitely, before going to, uh, to Eric and, and maybe uh, the view of China on, on this, which must be kind of uh, difficult to manage, um, the, the thing that stroke us, stroke us? Yeah, I guess Uh, the most was, as you're saying, the reaction of the people. And we have to be careful because obviously we were seeing official images and people crying hysterically uh, for a few days and maybe a week uh, after the death of uh, Kim Jong-il were very, uh, uh, I would even go as far as to say, unexpected. Um, and we were sort of puzzled and wondering whether it was people actually who didn 't know any better and who were brainwashed because you have to remember that and that 's something we we the the newscasters said specifically uh, they are educated with the cult of the leader ever since they are in in school you know so even though you're, you're even if some of them were sort of Understanding that the situation of the country is dire, because you know it's a country where people don't have enough to eat, people don't have any liberties. It's obviously not a nice place to be. Um, it's very difficult to dissociate this, to, or at least to uh, inform this w- with your, or inform your your reaction at the news of the death yeah. of the leader that you've uh, that has become an icon in your life, whether you want it or yeah. not. And, yeah,
2: where um, where are almost treating him like a god. He's almost yeah. in a god status. Well, I yeah, think that really, the closest example to 1984. I I suppose it is. Um, so yeah, it's it's very difficult. So people
0: were saying the the newscasters were saying, uh, you know, it's it's very strange to see that, to see this to see these reactions somewhat unexpected because we didn't think that it was going to have that. A uh, uh, wider reach in, in the country and that you would see crowds of of people amassing and crying and and actually seeming I guess the, the biggest shock was that some of them actually seemed genuinely sad and shocked. Uh, well, they, we would expect they were but I mean the reaction from from a Syrian in did France, you, it was... You, did, you,
2: did you hear all the stories of how he was born, how he was raised, yeah. the propaganda? They speak to these people and tell them about him, what he invented, what he created, what... This
0: well, it's, it's sort is, of
2: half this, mythological... This guy, is, this guy is Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly. So, okay. It's unbelievable.
0: So let's, let's uh, ask... Eric, who actually uh, knows about these things. Um, you were saying it, they were sad. So, yeah, oh, obviously no, no. That...
1: I mean, absolutely. I mean, listen, people cried in the streets openly for Richard Nixon when he died. I mean, every country <laughs> has its, uh, you know, its bizarre narratives. And, and I think all three countries from where we're from, uh, from the outside, everything looks, you know, rather strange. Uh, first mm. and foremost, I think it's really important to step back from the news. The vast majority of news coverage was very, very ill informed. Okay. Um And in part because North Korea, first of all, is an enigma to, to even the most sophisticated analysts. Very few people well, actually understand what's happening on the inside. Number there's two, no the char-
0: information coming out,
1: There's right? no information, very, very little information coming out. What information we do get is second and third hand. The other kind of characterization of uh, Kim Jong-il, Kim Jong-il, however you want to say it, as some kind of buffoon which was, you know, this, you know, this character who wore platform heels, he liked Hollywood movies, you know, he loved to have sex with, you know, blonde women, you know, all the great, wonderful stories that kind of came out. Um, or really trivialized him in ways that I think were, were misleading. This is, this the, the military government there is not a dumb government. You do right. not successfully play off the greatest superpowers in the world for 40 years and live to tell about it. You know, this is a guy who's played the Chinese, off the Russians, off the Japanese, off the Americans, you know, all one another, off one another, and has still managed to export nuclear technology and make millions and millions of dollars illicitly. So they are, they're, they're not dumb, and that's been one of our problems in the, in the outside world is we trivialize them, we laugh at them, mm. and then we underestimate them. And they have been very, very, very sophisticated at playing us off each other. Um, so, so I just, I stepped back from the coverage I noticed in our newsroom and in many other newsrooms, you know, most of the journalists don't have a big, deep understanding of what's going on in South, North and South Korea and the situation. And so what they do is they defer back to these kind of broad stereotypes, you know, the 1984 references and whatnot. And that belies a a much deeper complexity that actually exists.
0: Which I just did. So yeah, I'm absolutely guilty of that too. Um, but so maybe what do you, what can you tell us about you know maybe the 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 way china because okay the way i as an uninformed person is would watch this and and imagine china's reaction would be is sort of uh Oh, not embarrassment, maybe, but not certain how to manage it because, of course, they are officially, you know, very supportive of North, North Korea. But at the same time, they're, they have very strong economic ties and, you know, with, with the West. So... It, was that at some in in any way uh, a difficult thing to handle for China, or well, did, did they just let it run? And uh, n- no, North no, Korea? it's
1: all North Korea has been difficult for China for the past fifteen years. Um, the mistake in the West and and probably elsewhere around the world, is this assumption that kind of North Korea and China are somehow allies with one another, and North Korea and China are kind of aggressive, friendly supporters of one another, when in fact they are strategic interests to one another. Um, So it's very important to kind of separate this idea of, you know, the Cold War ideology between, you know, there are communists and then there's capitalists, and North Korea and, and, and China comes somehow allied with one another the well, way are, that are so when you say interest, you know, it's streets. about interests here so what, they're is really selling
0: the china is selling cheap stuff to north korea and, so, and north korea china, is,
1: yes china has one and one, only one interest in north korea and is to make sure that the regime does not fall Um, So there's a couple factors to take into account. The last thing that China wants is 10 million North Korean refugees streaming into its borders because the state collapsed. The next to last thing that North Korea want that the Chinese want is U.S. forces and South Korean forces up on the Yalu River Mm -hmm. on their border. Uh, you know, and then feeling that they've got U.S. forces on their border. You remember that the U.S. is, you know, pressuring China from Taiwan and from the south. They've got Japanese and U.S. forces, you know, on the far east. So the last thing that they want is to see this implosion and this instability on the Korean peninsula that justifies a bigger American advance closer to China. So and also more important to China is not North Korea, but South Korea. Uh, the economic ties run very, very deep between Beijing and, and Seoul, uh, and any implosion in North Korea would completely devastate uh, South Korea. So it's interests rather than some kind of alliance. And that's, I mean, it was, we're not
0: be, being completely uh, baseless on our understanding of this. It's just outdated, right? It, it was outdated. the case maybe 20 years ago when the Cold War was still sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, something that had an influence on the situation it's just that now things have changed with china's uh realignment with you know capitalism and and maybe political
1: will absolutely you know every single time the kims throw up a nuclear uh you know a test weapon or blow up a nuclear bomb or do something that's stupid that really just pisses off the chinese because it makes their life complicated you know the chinese have a lot of problems that they're dealing with they don't need more problems and when the kims start you know rattling this you know rattling the cage and start you know throwing missiles into south korea and start kind of prompting a, a yeah. bigger u.s. response and start distracting international diplomacy away from china's interests that pisses them off that gets them really really frustrated and they can't control the north koreans that's another big you know myth here is that somehow you know this is a satellite state of beijing that's not right. that's also a myth and that's been proven time and time again you know all of this goes back to the korean war when mao sent in chinese forces to fight the americans on the korean peninsula right up to the, uh, you know, to, to, to the divided parallel. And, and we still have this idea that, again, the mm-hmm. militaries are, are aligned because of that shared experience in the Korean War. Yeah.
0: All right. So in, given that, how is it uh, – how did they, did they handle the, the death of uh, – I was going to say of Mao uh, – of uh, Kim Jong-il – uh, in China, if, do you know
1: uh, you know, how it was reported? Was It It was. Oh, it was reported, and it was reported quite openly. Again, you know, the Chinese press on non-sensitive issues is, is quite dynamic more today. More, well, more so, 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 so I guess that's my question. It, was it not a sensitive issue even in China? No, not really, you know, because there was a peaceful transition. What becomes sensitive for the Chinese is when there's, you know, like what we saw with the Arab Spring and the Jasmine Revolutions, where, you know, old geriatric dictators are thrown out of power against mm-hmm. their Will. This was a transition of power that was long anticipated. We didn't know that it was going to be Kim Jong un until, you know, two years ago. But right. they knew that one of the kids was going to ha- was going to be in power. They knew that Kim Jong il was sick. They knew that this was going to happen. So this wasn't a surprise. Okay. And so, so when they see orderly transitions of power, that's not something that's that sensitive. So for example, no, but let me ask you, it let was me ask all over labor,
0: yeah. Let let me ask you this: They did. I'm guessing that they didn't uh,
1: make fun of his platform shoes and love of uh, Hollywood. No, definitely not. They All don't, right, So that's again, my again. But idea. that that's actually a compliment, though, that they don't actually trivialize the way that we do. And we often turn news into entertainment because it's we don't, for what we don't understand. It's easier to laugh at. Hmm. And that's a shortcoming of the Western media and the international media more than it's a shortcoming of the Chinese media.
0: Okay, well, yeah, okay, I guess that's fair enough, but it's still sort of a a, – he's still a peculiar character. I guess we we made fun – it's possible to do both. We did make fun of Gaddafi and at the same time took him very seriously because he's eccentric and it's not, you know, it's not inaccurate (laughs) to – to describe him as eccentric. And I'm guessing what I'm getting at is, I'm guessing the Chinese newscasters could not have pointed out his eccentricities. I'm talking about Kim Jong-il could not have pointed out his eccentricities because of,
1: you know, political implications. Maybe, but I don't think they think of it that way. Listen, Mm. you're a Frenchman, right? who's your president it's a short no guy with the napoleon complex who you know who is as eccentric as they come i mean this is a guy and that we, we make, make fun of him and from we time make to fun time. of him all the time but in mm. the united states in fact that's all they do about sarkozy is they make fun of him it's just not actually in the nature of a, of the chinese news mm. to trivialize like that their news is a much more serious much like uh... french news for example compared to american news is way more serious mm. so it's okay. actually less a censorship thing than the style of news now on weibo for example people were Passing around, which is the Twitter, uh, you know, the microblogging service uh, that was alive with people talking about, you know, sharing, you know, fake pictures of him sharing, you know, people were talking about all the kind of rumors and all the different things. So Weibo Mm -hmm. was was very, very dynamic on that. But the official news wasn't uh, was much more conservative. And I have to admit, you know, here in Europe. You know, we have more conservative news than in the United States, um, yeah. you know, or than in much of the Arab world, for that matter. Uh, so so that might be just or, cultural differences in how we project news and present news rather than anything official censorship-wise. Right.
0: Okay. Well, that's uh, surprising. Um, what about uh, Korea? If, you know, Korea itself, is there any speculation in china or you know the question is for everyone um is there any speculation or where it might go because here in france it's definitely we don't see it moving a lot and the the biggest question is who is kim jong-un who we don't know we don't know you know what he wants what he would like to do and definitely we don't know what he will be able to do if he wanted to do something
1: well, that's one of the big questions. The other big question is is actually Kim Jong-un actually in charge uh, or right. is he the figurehead of the military? You know, there is a man by the name of Jang Song-taek who is a long uh, you know, a long-time family friend of the Kim's uh and he's kind of one of the senior military officials also general Ri Ong, uh Ri-yong uh, is another one of the power behind the thrones, and so we don 't know who is actually calling the shots. Uh, this could be the child emperor, and for all we know this is you know he 's just kind of being the beck and call of uh, of the military at the end of the day, this is a military government. Absolutely. that operates in crisis mode. So it always has to operate in crisis mode. And I think for those in South Korea, the biggest concern is that in order for Kim Jong-un to prove his worth to the military, he has to slap South Korea around a little bit. This is mm-hmm. this is how these transitions go. This is what happened with Kim Jong-il after Kim Il-sung. Uh, and so they're probably going to start firing some missiles or shooting down some planes or kind of, you know taking down a boat of sorts of some sort they do that and they do the symbolic to say does this guy have the balls to to take on south korea and that's right. that, so that's what i think people in in south korea are nervous of like how is he going to have his initiation you know it's like you know the gang initiation where you have to go down the street and yeah. just beat somebody up well there's a little bit to that and he's got to show he's got the cojones and that he's got he's man enough mm. to kind of slap the south koreans around and that will then show to the uh, to build some legitimacy within his own military and if he doesn't do that then he's got a problem and so the south koreans are waiting when will this happen yeah. Turkey is the is the question of uh, what
0: kind of leader is Kim Jong uh, Un going to be even asked uh, in in Saudi Arabia, Arabia and maybe the Arab world in general or is it?
2: I think the majority of people just think it's the same thing. It's just. Uh, mm. From father to son and the same system is going to work, as it always has. And I think, uh, in a way, the North Korean media emphasized that that's how things are going to work with all of their uh, propaganda and declarations, protect the leader, and, and we will continue on our way and all of that,
1: so... Yeah,
2: I it, think that's that's
1: the major impression. It's more like mom, the yeah. Saudi system than it is like the uh, the Chinese in some ways. I mean, uh, these are these are you know dynasties passed down from uh, you know within the family. Mm. Yeah, that's true.
0: Um, all right, let's move on to uh, the ever continuing saga of 2011 um, with the Arab Spring in general, and maybe in in particular two uh, points, two items. Uh, the first one being. Uh, I guess we can gloss over Syria. Uh, Things are continuing to develop with a a slight shift to a possible, a potential military conflict and the sort of denouncing of the Arab League's... uh, Ah, Committee well, I mean, envoy.
1: Yeah, well, the observers and they, yeah, were, the, observers. You know, the Arab League observers were basically credited as being a joke. Yeah. Uh, you know, they and they were, you know, now they've gone to the United Nations to ask for some training uh, in order to be observers. So this is now basically entirely discredited.
0: It is. But I mean, it's it's interesting that it was discredited, at least, you know, that's the way I, I would understand it. It was discredited in a way that they didn't try to force anything by saying no, 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 no. Things are actually fine. Once the you know the the what was the name of that general? Oh, I'm the sorry, Sudanese I
1: general. I forget his name too from yeah. Sudan. Um,
0: who was saying, yeah, actually, it's not so bad. Everyone, including his own, you know, potential supporters, were saying in the Arab League, were saying, all right, let's wait for a second. This doesn't seem like it's working. And it wasn't basically a work of propaganda. It was actually. The 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 origin the uh, the origin of this of this uh, committee was genuine, and they were trying to actually send people to watch the situation. When they saw it wasn't yep. working, they are, were going to rework it and to you know to to take their their copy from the beginning and, and do something that works. Uh, it, okay. it was still sorry. Go ahead.
2: I was just going to say that while I agree with you on most of the points, I still want to give these people a chance. I really don't want to judge them until I see the report, which should be coming out in the next couple of days, I think. Because, come on, if you're in the middle of Syria and you're being investigated, I don't think it's smart to go and lash against the Syrian government when you're surrounded by their own goons so that's a fair point uh, i i do i do agree with you it's completely unacceptable and i am suspicious that this uh, entire thing is going to be a complete joke but i will wait to give my final judgment until i say the report the report will give make uh, give me my final opinion but i do agree from what i can see just from what we're seeing and hearing right now yes a complete joke and a lot of people are pissed off of it even here in saudi arabia And it really is a
1: lot at stake for the Arab League, because really, you know, the Arab League has never been known as an institution that had a lot of teeth behind it and that was very aggressive towards its members. And so if the Arab League comes up with a whitewash report on this, really, it's I I don't think people are going to take it that serious in the future. It'd be hard for them to build up that credibility that they've lost because they didn't have an enormous amount on this front to begin with. It's it's interesting. Actually, you know.
2: actually, 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 if that does happen, it's gonna hurt our league more than uh, it That's will happen right. in, in it, within its own people. Than it will uh, uh, hurt it within the international community because a lot of countries like Saudi Arabia, uh, like uh, Bahrain, like uh, United Arab Emirates, uh, Egypt are anti. Syrian government, and they would be very pissed to wish-wash the whole situation because, for them, they don't accept Saudi Arabia has now almost closed its embassy in in Damascus. Now there's only the minimum number of employees required to run it.
0: So you're saying that basically Saudi Arabia is is being very, uh, I don't want to say forceful, but uh, wants a, a proper... Uh, look at the situation and wants to, you know, condemn Syria for... Saudi Arabia has condemned Syria officially. No, no, well, I mean, they want the Arab League to, you know, actually monitor the situation in a way that would be respected by the, the you know, the UN and the... It,
2: yeah, because, look, look, you have to look at that different ways. It, it, it helps them, first, it helps them to get rid of one of their biggest problems. The Syrian regime is a big problem for Saudi Arabia because it's very well tied with Iran. It yeah, also it. helps them to, to give out the, an image out there that the Saudis do care about liberties and try to, uh, even within Saudi Arabia, you have the, the own population of Saudi Arabia, they would uh, be more accepting for government that would go against the Syrian government and protect those people. And it, it, it's all about the image for the government, internationally and locally.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, the the point you bring up about, you know, trying to box in the Iranians is very, very important because the Iranians have been funneling a lot of money through Syria for a long time, and the Saudis have been of wanting course. to kind of contain the of Iranian course. influence in the region. So that's a great point, and that's really yeah. – that's a big reason that's why the Saudis have been that, pushing. That,
2: that's the main reason, and, of course, you have all the image regions, but that's the main reason, and nobody – all they need you to deny that. Hmm.
0: I guess in general, um, the, the thing that sort of – Surprised people, I would say, even though that's a little harsh, um, was the fact that the Arab League was sort of taking charge of this problem it, when, in the past, I don't feel like they have. And when the first, we, as I was saying earlier, people were expecting the, the the committee to sort of, you know, be very complacent complacent with with the the Syrian regime potentially, and when that started happening, they said. Wait a second, we're going to, you know, th- they wanted to have a clean uh, uh, a clean operation there. And that was a little bit, I think, unexpected um, because they it's, haven't it's done so in the past. And, and, you true. know, it's a good thing.
2: But, it. Yeah, it's true because with, when you had the Arab League, how many of the countries there were run by dictatorships?
0: Yeah, exactly. So, how but many the,
2: dictatorships are going to support someone against another dictatorship? Now, almost uh, almost no Arab country has a dictatorship. You might think, say, Saudi Arabia has dictatorship. That's a dictatorship, monarchy. You have to separate monarchies from a dictatorship. Well, that's no more dictatorships.
1: uh, I mean, that's that's semantics. And dictatorship—you know—one man's dictatorship is another man's freedom fighter. So, I mean, you know, uh, there's no way to argue in the West that Saudi Arabia is. Uh, an authoritarian government, just like Bahrain. Now, you can call it a monarchy, but at the end of the day, the way that we perceive Saudi Arabia and Bahrain and a lot of these governments is authoritarian, leading into dictatorships. I mean, the way that women are treated in Saudi Arabia offends the Western standards. That is...
2: Ah, No no offense, uh, but who cares about the Western standards? Well, no, but that's our
1: perception. No, 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 but that's our perception. So, again, it's a a relative... uh, You know, who is a dictator is a relative... Uh, argument. It's not, there's not an absolute on this. So you may think that they're not dictatorships. In the West, they do, and then we're stuck at a a debate. You know, I guess. The, the, yeah, but I guess when, you my point republic, was... when
2: you have a republic where there's elections and this guy always wins 99%, that's a dictatorship. But when you have a monarch and then family takes the control of this country one after another, they're open about it. They're telling everybody we're a monarch, <laughs> our family's going to rule. They're not playing games and saying, no, we're a democracy, we have elections and we win the elections so it's a every nice time, 99 <laughs> 99%. Seriously, yeah. who wins an election 99%? No, I definitely, I definitely agree that it's, it's, a,
0: it's a different uh, situation. And we could debate for a long time you know, about exactly what kind of uh, uh, denomination we can have. But um, I, I guess my point was I was surprised at the way the Arab League was
1: handling it a- in a good way. I think and it surprised think, a lot of people how yeah, they handled exactly. it. You know, when that, you know, when there was this very high profile case of, uh, I think in homes where, you know, they put the, the corpse of a five year old boy on the, on the front of the Arab League cars and said, this is what's going on here. You're not seeing what's going on. And the fact that it was more or less, and again, according to press reports, summarily dismissed by the, the observers is this the kind of that's what surprised I think a lot of us was, was that and a the kind of observers that they put in there the Sudanese general who had prior ties with the Syrian government and the Syrian military may not have been the most credible person to put as the head of the delegation um, so that that was kind of a surprise as well. Uh, um, well, you know, come on, give, but give you, you, these, you, you, these you agree that these, people are complete idiots and never did this before. They don't even know what human rights is. And what do you expect? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, and fair it's enough. Based and, and on and government, so, so they messed this up. Yeah. Definitely. They're no, going to mess they, this up. There. there you go. Now, the problem is, is that if it's not the Arab League, who is it? You know, I mean, it, it, it they're not, you know, the United Nations. I'm not sure they're that competent to go in there and do this, and not, not to mention. Well, the they would that the be, but, UN, but they never could. I mean, they never so, could because they're too allied and too perceive their perception of being Western interests. Well, yeah, Syria uh, just would never would let them would in. Never let them begin, in. Yeah. So, so listen, the United States is not going to, as we've talked about earlier, they're not going to invade, uh, you know, uh, Syria. The French are not going to invade Syria like they did in uh, in Libya. So, what happens here? But where are we? You know, now? you know,
2: you know. The only reason the Arab uh, observers are even there is not because they are the, purely they're Arabs. Because Russia made so Syria agree to that. Syria kept on, on, on refusing that and asking and demanding uh, conditions for all of these people to come in until Russia pressured it and said, "Come on, let them come in. You're killing mm. us at the UN." Well, sure. I guess
0: where where we're we're going uh, with this, it seems to me like the latest hints are of a potentially militarization of the conflict. Because until now, it's been very um, basically the army, the Syrian army, and and government shooting at
2: pro- uh, protesters. And actually, there is an armed uh, resistance in Syria. But it's, uh, well, yeah, that's visible. my point, and it's mostly uh, army. It, there people are more and more are...
0: defecting, defecting yeah. uh, uh, exactly. high-ranking officials, and you know, yeah. so it, it, it potentially turn into a civil war at some point down the line. It seems like. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well, there's no doubt that that if this can, if there, if the stalemate continues, that both Israeli and Western interests are going to start smuggling weapons in the same way that they did in Libya to Benghazi to the NTC. Mm. To if that if this if this really comes down to that, it's only going to come down to force. You're going to start seeing that in a much bigger way, and Um, I don't see
0: the thing is I don't see it settling down now. It's not like all of a sudden the protesters are going to say, "All right, fine, you
1: win." You know, so there's no that won't happen. They're going to go. They're in it for. They're playing for keeps. Both sides. They both know what's at stake too. All right,
0: Um, Egypt and Mubarak. Uh, So Mubarak, it's the trial uh, that's uh, started again, and uh, trial of the century already. Of the century? <laughs> yeah. Well, for Egyptians, <laughs> certainly. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh, we don't know what's going to happen. You know, we still have uh, 78 years to go. So, um, But, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, that trial has obviously been reported on. And sort of a um, – with the, 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 the fact that if he doesn't get the death penalty, what we understand is uh, a lot of Egyptians will be quite – angry and the other part uh, earlier in the month of December is the fact that the um, occupation of the uh, Tahrir uh, place, how do you square? it? In square. square. Thank you. Tahrir. Tahrir. Square. Tahrir. Do, can I yes. get a, a, a lesson in pronunciation Turkey? You just pronounce it right. Oh cool, awesome. Uh, Tahrir uh, Square uh, has been you know, reoccupied for at least, I would say, a couple of weeks, maybe even three, uh, because the Egyptians were not happy at all. And uh, I guess now things have settled down uh, a little bit. Um, but yeah, that was there was definitely a huge revival of the uh, occupation there. And that was a little bit of a concern, because it seemed like at some point it might blow
2: up again. Um, uh, uh, come on, you know what's going on in Egypt. All of these people who went to the square and they demonstrated and finally got uh, bark out, they're mostly uh, liberals, uh, left wings and so on. And when the elections are coming up and they saw that the Islamic Brotherhood was going to win and the Islamic uh, uh, parties are going to get majorities, they got worried and they went and they demand that the elections be postponed. Yeah, I mean that, which is, that was the which main is, the main which issue. Is, but... Which is which is ridiculous. You want a democracy? A democracy. <laughs> you don't object to democracy.
1: I think what, what they wanted, get. at least. But at I least don't think they were, they were wanted. protesting they... against the Islamic Brotherhood. They were protesting against the military government and the fact that the exactly. military no, they... government has not transferred power and not let up lived up to the promises. I don't. I don't think you're on the mark on no, that no, one. No, no,
2: no, no. no. I mean, they were, were demanding... clearly their
1: their target was against they the were... government.
2: No, they were demanding two things. They demanded that. The elections be cancelled. They demanded the elections. No, no,
1: no, no. They said postpone because, again, there was a reasonable. I mean, it has been one year. Mubarak was alive and in power last year at this time. It was not an unreasonable. Concern to say that you're rushing into elections that are in a country as large as Egypt, 90 million people that has never really had any experience with elections to rush through so quickly. So, so to trivialize that demand is really not appropriate. How how would you want a civil uh, government if you don't have elections? You have to make sure that the pieces are in place for democracy. You have to make sure the institutions are actually there. You have to make sure you have a a transitional government that has a plan other than just staying in power. And right now, the military government has just is staying in power.
2: The military government has never said it's going to, to stay in power. It insisted it's going to leave, it's even to the point. That, and that's that the concern, just, and that's they, what they're upset about. They they will leave the minis the government uh, the military I will leave you, government and turn it over. I you think the, the, the biggest
0: it. the biggest issue there was uncertainty. Um, mm-hmm. There wasn't a clear right. a clear plan and a clear all, you know,
2: all all the protesters were supporting of one regime and one ideology. There wasn't a – uh, uh, the second protest did not have a mixture in it yeah, because these true. are people that are going to lose a lot. If a, the they are definitely
0: going to lose. I think another uh, important point there was they wanted a constitution that guaranteed certain liberties. And that was being sort of—I uh, don't even know how it uh, ended up uh, in the end. But that w- they weren't getting what they w- they wanted in the constitution, so they were afraid that the—that uh, Islamists...
2: constitution isn't even ready yet. it's, it's just yeah, the, what's available right now as a constitution. The one they're arguing about is an is a concept, it's an idea. You you still have the elections. Then they have to review it again, and then all the committees that were elected for
1: higher upper parliament, lower parliament, have to vote on it to approve it. But that's exactly the point. To have elections without a constitution is really putting the cart before the horse is what they're saying, that you need to first establish these basic foundations of any kind of – Let's And who will write the constitution? But again, there's lots of different ways in other countries that provide models of this, that you can have a council of elders, you can have an elected body that is for just for the, to build the Constitution, and then once the Constitution is built, then you have open elections. There's lots of different ways they, to get through this process, they, 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 they and there's may, lots they, they of may countries may have that have made, done that. But may, to look, trivialize they made, them, say that they're that just they're, they're whiners because they're going to lose everything, is to me is like, I, I don't know what that is. I mean, democracy is really about protecting the rights of the minority, not the rights of the majority. That's what makes a yeah, democracy d- d- strong. D- d- no, d- democracy is about
2: the view of the majority over the view of the but minority protect, because it's I mean that's voice. not what I said. I guess no, the no, the, there is from, There,
0: there to, is another aspect to this Turkey. It's the fact that the constitution is there to say what the go- the elected government can and cannot do. And exactly. it's important Look, to make sure that be, that constitution is written Patrick, properly Patrick, because if you Patrick, don't Patrick. Let, let me let me let me finish. Okay. If if because if the constitution is not written properly, then the elected government can do whatever they want, and then you know enact laws that will. Um, uh, infringe on the rights of, the, of some uh, people, particularly the minorities. And that, in my mind, at least that's why, how I understood it on the, in, with the way it was reported here, is what the protesters didn't want to see happen. They wanted to make sure that the Constitution, basically what it comes down to, that the Constitution didn't allow for an Islamist regime put in place to enact laws that would go against certain rights that they wanted
2: to have, you know, secured. Is that and that's fair... exactly that's fair and that's exactly not never going to happen. Egypt is a very Islamic country, very religious country, and no matter how much they uh, demonstrate, the majority would not agree on a constitution that would not put Islam as the main source of their uh, laws. It's not never going to happen. Egypt is yeah. not ready. That's
0: for a fair that. point too. Yeah. Eric, can you you see the the conundrum
1: there? No, no, no. no. It's absolutely a majority Islamic country, and I don't think anybody's disputing that. But there are a, a very large Christian Coptic population, there is a large secular population, small minority, but it's there nonetheless, and there are these minority populations that want protection. And they are voicing themselves to say, we are going to make sure that in this constitutional process, in this electoral process, you know that we've got a voice. Whether or not you listen to us in the halls of power or on the streets, you're going to have to listen to us. And that's but what they're I,
0: saying. I think that there's a fair point. For example, if you ask a fair point by Turkey, if you ask, for example, um, whether or not women... It's a completely you know, random example that is maybe not uh, uh, factual in, in Egypt, but let's say that the minority of uh, you know, Christian and secular uh, uh, people would want for women to have the right to drive, and mm-hmm. the large majority of um, the the Muslim population would say, well you know this is in the election we want to have a an Islamic government in place, and according to the Islamic law, women don't have the right to, to drive, so that's what we want to enact. How is it democratic to write a constitution where you guarantee women the right to drive if the the majority of the population would want to pass a law that says
1: the opposite. Listen, we have some great examples of the largest Islamic countries in the world that have pluralistic societies, whether it's Indonesia, Malaysia, even India. Uh, These are the largest Islamic populations in the world that are very, 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 very diverse, have very, very sophisticated constitutions, and actually have the tolerance for what we're talking about. So this is not about Islam being intolerant. This is uh, about that's a not, pro- No, that's this is, not no, what no, I'm but, saying. No, 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 no it's but, not so, what but I'm even saying, a majority Eric. population. No, no, but even a majority population in places like, you know, Indonesia, uh, where it's a very Islamic country, um, you know, have been able to find lots of shades of gray. Now, in this case, as you're talking about, if they vote to ban certain activities, well, then they vote, and that's democracy, but then you also have to protect the rights of minorities. And that's a very important aspect of democracy. It's not the rule or the tyranny of the majority. It's protecting the rights of minorities as well, which is a critical part of democracy.
0: I think you're defining democracy as – you're including in your definition of democracy the protection, the guaranteed protection of certain rights. That's which, right. Which – which, Basic fundamental rights. I agree. That is, but then you have to define which – rights you want to protect. And And that is up to each country. And every country
1: goes to that process. But this is what I think they're complaining about now, is that this is being, what they're concerned about, is this process in the constitutional process is being ramrodded and they're not getting their voice. Fair enough. Let's say that Egypt
0: uh, gets a, uh, I don't know how you call it in English, but a a,
1: constitutional assembly of some kind. There you
0: go. A constitutional uh, government, a constitutional assembly. And that assembly, Fairly and, you know, uh, representing the country says we are t- going to protect this, this, and this right. It's going to be written in the Constitution, but this, that right, that right, and that right are not going to be included. And, for example, one, one that might be a problem where, you know, uh, women can't drive. That is not going to be protected. I, I, for no, us, Patrick, Patrick, for for, Patrick, for the probably problem. most of us, it, it would be a problem because it's it you know we consider it a, a basic right you know it's it's oppressive towards women. But if they wrote it and went through the process in the uh, constitutional assembly, would that be uh, more acceptable, Eric? You think? Well, I don't. To the, accept- to the people to the people protesting on the Tahrir Square. It's I don't think they say. would be happy. I
1: know I, I don't think they would be happy at all, and I think what they what they want, and again, I agree with Turkey, what they want, they're not going to get because they live in a society where they are a significant minority, and they're not going to uh, to achieve their goals through the constitutional process. Um, that said, really, it's up to them. When I mean them, it's the 90 million Egyptians to decide their future. There are consequences to the decision of that future, though. That is, if they go in a certain direction. Um, you know, the world reacts. And this is a country that is extraordinarily dependent on the outside world. This is a country that's dependent on foreigners for tourism, its largest industry, it doesn't have much oil, and it's certainly dependent on my government and my tax money to support that military government. So there are very, very real consequences to what direction they go.
0: Turkey, I sort of interrupted you a minute ago.
2: No, I'm uh, I'm just trying to say that at the end of the day, it's all about one word. The basis of the laws in Egypt will be under Islamic law, the basis. Yeah, no, I agree. That they, That's absolutely that, 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 that they will never remove because the huge majority of the population would demand that. And if they remove it, trust me, I'm talking about this time. I don't know about maybe in 10, 20, 30 years, maybe things change. But at this time, that could result in a civil war. Yeah. Removing that. No, price. I think it's, it there, I think seems it's to be a direction
1: to do that. That's the direction okay. it's going in.
0: Yeah, I think it, it's. I mean, it's obvious that in all of these countries, there's going to be a, 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 you know, a Muslim basis for the government. It would be, you know, it would be somewhat undemocratic if it wasn't. And that's I right. think that a lot of the concerns um, that that a lot of people have in Egypt are probably going to be sort of uh, addressed by the the. Uh, Economic situation of the country, because even if uh, a, a a government you know the the Muslim brotherhood gets elected in Egypt, which is likely. Uh, they're not going to be able to have the country function if they don't have certain, you know, a, a somewhat um, exactly, uh, exactly, you know, permissive view of things because of tourism, because of the 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 health the that they need from the other government. Countries.
2: The government would fall, and the next election, someone else would come to power. It's yeah. all about the economy. At the end of the day, people would worry about how they live, how about the economy? That's Are the you most telling us thing.
0: it's the economy, stupid, Turkey? Is that what you're saying? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yep, it's the is stupid. Okay.
0: Um all right, fair enough. Um another uh, important point uh is the Iran rattling I don't know, everyone's something uh with the threats of uh closing down oh my god, I'm I'm forgetting the name of that uh Hormuz. There you go. The Strait
2: of Hormus.
0: The Strait of Hormuz. Uh which basically Iran is uh Sort of. Oh, can someone else take this one? I'm not informed enough uh, about it.
1: Take one. Explain that the you know that they're threatening to shut down the Straits of Hormuz, where you know an enormous—I forget the percentage—forty percent, uh, I think—forty percent of the world's oil passes through, and this would have a devastating effect on uh, world oil markets. And the idea is to try and kind of oh, hit back at the U.S. I'm, for all I'm sorry, the just US second, Europeans. Yep. Yeah.
0: We we sort of div- didn't even cover uh, the the China about uh, Syria and Egypt. Can we can you quickly uh, tell us? what china's position is on all of this
1: yeah i mean the chinese play a very important role on syria because they uh, have refused to to look like unlike what they did in libya the chinese at the u.n security council have refused to mm. support any western actions against syria so the chinese and the russians are forming something of a block here they're not necessarily working in sync with one another but their interests are not allied with uh, those of the west's
2: right. Eric, uh, can you correct this for me? As far as I know, China
1: has decided to abstain. Well, uh, no, an abstention is that's what they did in Libya, and that's what gave no, the I'm green light. No, I'm
2: talking about in Syria. They in are, Sy-
1: as far, I
2: could be wrong, but as far as I know, in Syria they're abstaining because they have more more to, uh, work with uh, Saudi Arabia at the moment than in, in Syria, and they would well, rather win Saudi Arabia
1: than Syria. No, no, absolutely. Their interests are much more complex, and they're much more aligned. And not only, and interestingly enough, not just with Saudi Arabia, but also with Israel. Uh, the Chinese relationship with Israel is also another fascinating one. The Chinese are uh, working on technology with the Israelis, and the Chinese have a growing trade relationship with Israel. So, so China's interests across the region are are very broad. Now the other thing to keep in mind is the chinese have relationships with the assad family that go back a long time and the chinese value these relationships so they're not going to throw them overboard you know, just tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why they're playing this abstention game, but they're also playing this game of not necessarily, of giving indications to the West that we're not going to support any kind of military intervention in the way we that happened in Libya. They're not going to necessarily support an aggressive intervention from the UN, but at the same time, they're not blocking things like the Arab League as well. They want, the Chinese at, you know, at the end of the day prefer multilateral organizations like the Arab League and like the UN to go in rather than any type of unilateral action in part because the Chinese are fearful one day that that unilateral type of action might come back to them. Sure. So, so that's the Syria question. Um in Iran, Do, or no, Egypt. Before you, you want, yeah. before you move on to Egypt. Um, do the Chinese
0: uh, um, the Chinese people actually see this on the news covered on a regular basis? N- n-
1: not, not so much. There's very little mm. – much like the Americans don't see it either, frankly. Okay. I mean, you ask your average American on the street. He doesn't really know anything that's going on. And, and frankly, the, the Chinese media is a lot like the Arabic and the American media. It's very, very insular and concentrated on itself. Right. Uh, it's, and it's and a plus in, in Syria –
2: in Syria, I think the real pro-Syrian is the Russians. They are the problem when it comes that's right. to Syria.
1: That, that's right. It's not the Chinese and basically one of the key things that the Syrians and the Egyptians have in common is they're not big oil states, so China's interests aren't as deep. Uh, China really doesn't have the type of interest that it, in, in Egypt that it has in, say, Sudan or Libya sure. or the rest of Africa and the Middle East because there really isn't a lot of oil there. There also isn't a large Chinese population that's in Egypt as there are in other African countries. So it, its business interests are not that Deep, they're of course there, but not in the in 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 the same way. Now, bear in mind, uh, the Suez Canal presents a very important uh, r- role for the Chinese. They they just put their the Shuzhou battle group for the first time uh, last year. Made it from the corner of Africa through the Suez and into the Mediterranean. That was a first that had happened. So that's important for the Chinese is to have access to the Suez Canal. But other than, uh, but its interests are not very deep in that in in Egypt. Right.
0: All right. Okay um let's so let's move on to the Iran thing and basically um Iran as you w- you were saying uh threatening basically the world- C- can they even afford to do something like that? It seems like a very bold move, and I'm not sure uh, we're getting more into analysis than who's playing with something okay it stopped um the, the it seems like Iran couldn't really afford to do something like that, and I'm not sure I understand why they would. You know, do it other than just show a little bit of muscle. Um, we're so we're going more into analysis than really reporting how uh, different countries saw it here in in, in this show. But uh, at least for Iran, we're sort of, I would think, uh, in France, looking at it and saying, with a slightly concerned uh, uh, eye, going like. Wait a second. What's happening? No, no, they can't do it. They're just posturing.
1: Well, um, this goes back to the – this dates back a, a few more months to the sanctions that the Europeans, uh, the British, the French, the Americans wanted to put on the Iranian central bank. And that's what right. prompted the Iranians to then kind of you know, storm the British embassy, um, which was a rather provocative move in that sense. And so right. here we are at the progression of, of that. So which the, there, doesn't seem they, to,
0: to be making anyone back down. I I haven't seen anyone, you know, concerned enough about all this to say – Yes, yeah, sanctions, we're forgetting about them. On the contrary, they're, well, they're still going forward.
1: Remember, we're in political seasons here in the West, in both the United States mm-hmm. and in France, and nobody, nobody loses by being tough on the Iranians. Yeah. So you're seeing the American candidates, really, everybody bashes the Iranians saying, you know, I'm going to go to war to beat the crap out of them, and that's a <laughs> great applause line. And, and, you know, certainly Sarkozy and, his, you know, with the Napoleon complex we talked about earlier, uh, he hasn't been too out front on the Iranians. Now, there's a lot at stake for the Europeans with Iran, not necessarily for the Americans. Remember, Europe gets a lot of its oil from this part of the world. The Americans don't. The Americans are getting more and more of their oil from Mexico, from Canada, from Nigeria, and also from Venezuela. So this isn't, a, a, you know, the oil supply is not an American problem. This is a European problem. Yeah. And Europe, in Europe, given the economy that it's facing today, um, really can't afford, you know, skyrocketing oil prices. So, yeah, but they're not, they don't seem to be, you're saying it's a, it's an election year, but... Well, this you is know, a very serious uh, threat. It's, a, it's an incredibly serious threat, and it's one that you know you got to be very careful with the Americans here because you know we've got this you know itchy finger. You know we're free from Iraq, we're getting free from Afghanistan, we're back to be on the dating market. You know who's next? And uh, you know there's a lot of it, You know there's a lot of support in the United States to go for go to go to war with Iran. I mean, it's hard to believe after what we've been through right. for the past ten years, but there is a lot of support. Uh, particularly among conservatives, to they think a war with Iran will be easy. Um, they thought a war with Iraq would be easy, by the way. So, not so sure it's, that, you know... It's, it's, it, although, there is... Okay, let's live in, in fantasy
0: world for a second. And let's say that somehow, whether through military force or diplomatic pressure or economic sanctions, uh, Syria is sort of on its way out, maybe, potentially. Let's say Iran also gets uh, free from, uh, you know, somewhat dictatorship-like regime, um, then everyone's happy. We, we live in a fantastic uh, democratic world. I, I How know, do you, you – know, yeah, I
1: mean, you don't get there left quickly. I mean no. Iran has a, you know, has a very deeply no, entrenched I, government with a, with a lot of public backing by the way. It's a mythology in the West that Ahmadinejad is some kind of you know, representative of some kind of minority uh, of the population. He has very, very strong support in the countryside. Well, in let's Morocco. say
0: it's not a democratic regime. It's it, not a democratic regime, but that doesn't selective. mean he doesn't
1: have support. There's of course, quite a of bit course, of support yeah. for him. Of course, that's very uh, so true. We don't. No, but it, I mean,
0: I mean, I can understand how the fantasy of having basically all the big uh, majority of the big dictatorships from uh, you know the past fifty years having fallen in in the past ten, um, and and when you look at the world at the world map after that, you only have very few places left where you can really say. This is a a horrible, you know, uh, uh, previous century dictatorship regime. Um, So I can understand how people would say – how people would want to live in that world and say, okay, let's get rid of Iran now. Although, yeah, I'm this,
1: being naive, that's not the motivation. You, for it. That, is, that is being naive in the sense that, you know, we, we, we pushed an election through in, in certain Palestinian areas, and Hamas, that was the first and last sure. election, and Hamas won. Uh, this very well may be the situation in Egypt. It certainly could be the situation. We don't know what's behind door number two. Uh, yeah. Behind door number two could be a lot worse than what's behind door number one. And that's this, <laughs> this myth of American kind of like, you know, we're the ray of freedom of light around the world, and if we just take out the dictator or something, well, great. Turkey's point is excellent. That is, these are largely these are these are majority Islamic populations that will elect Islamic governments that are not necessarily favorable to the United States. You know, I'm going to switch to Turkey
0: in a second, but I don't think in this case, in the case of you know what's happened in the past year, um, it, it's sort of. Of course, if we went military into Iran, I think this is sort of a – I'm surprised at what you're saying that the, you know, there's public support behind this in the U.S. Because in in France and from what I understand in Europe, this is not something we would
1: consider at all. Not you know, at it's, all. It's, not, it's but, absolutely uh, uh, unthinkable. Well remember, um, it comes because there is this on the right wing of the United States this blind sure. support for this unconditional support for israel and and, mm. and Iran is considered to be the number one challenger to israel sure. so but attacking what I mean is, Iran is something meant to defend israel
0: I understand, but what I mean is is you know the the um, the situation with dictatorships has it, in France at least and i 'm sure in other european countries we are we 've accepted the fact that dictatorships being toppled down by their uh populace might lead to uh, you know definitely muslim majority governments and maybe even uh, um, uh, the types of government led by the uh, islamic brotherhood that we're not very comfortable with but we've accepted the fact that this is how it goes and that's the path of democracy and we sort of have hope that things would change over time and people you know with the people getting used to what democracy is things would evolve in a more you know freedom focused uh, um uh way so when you're saying we have this sort of of illusion, American illusion that we go in, we blow everything up and then democracy blooms that's a very post-2001 Bush uh, uh, view of the world that I don't think anyone really shares anymore not even, uh, maybe I'm wrong but even in the US it's sort of People understand that that's not how it works now.
1: I yeah, don't know. I mean, as in Iraq. It, it may, it, listen, you know, if you're in the U.S., there's a debate among the Republicans over American exceptionalism and how great we are to the world, and that we are the greatest gift to the to to to, to world civilization. That is the tar the terms of the debate among the mm-hmm. Republicans. So they do believe their own press. Um, mm-hmm. They believe that Iraq was a success. In fact, that you know, dethroning right. a dictator was worthwhile, and now it's up to the iraqis to decide what's what direction they want to take their society and if they want to take it into a barbaric kind of return to sectarian violence well that's their choice that we gave them that's so do do the do the we're veering
0: away from uh, iran a little bit here but do, do do you say are you saying the americans and i'm sure this is not the people listening to this show probably uh but are you saying the americans think uh they fixed iraq now
1: Uh, No, I say that the American body politic is a very diverse population. And there is a lot of idea on the right in the conservatives in the United States. There is a strain, a very popular strain of thought to say that the war was worth it. The war was justified. And the war produced the results of taking down a dictator who threatened Israel and the United States. And that was what was accomplished. And, and well, elect- that's actually and, and true. And it did give people a choice. Uh, it gave a majority. It turned a majority, a minority Sunni government into a majority Shiite government. That's democracy, as Turkey kind of pointed out. So in some ways, it did work, right? Well, that's true. In some I mean, ways, it did work. They can make now a whether very or not it was argument, worth it is another topic. A totally different story.
0: Yeah. Uh, Turkey, we've been talking a lot.
2: Uh, what about you? Uh, I think it's uh, the whole Iran thing is, uh, I don't know, in Saudi Arabia it's it's a big deal, of course, because, as you said, about 40% of all oil goes through there, and the largest oil fields are on the Gulf there, so they go through there within Saudi Arabia. So if Iran does a step anyway like that, it's really going to be a huge thing, and it could result in... A huge war between uh, all of these countries. The real, pro- the real question is, for me, and I think for many people, is if, if that does happen, if the Iranians are stupid and crazy enough to do it, which is basically they're also hurting their, themselves also because they're blocking sure. their own oil as well. Uh, because uh, definitely Americans and uh, Europeans would be there, and they would stand side by side, each blocking the other. Uh, Other uh, groups, ships of oil. But what would Russia do? That's the real question that uh, I think we really want to know because Russia is very, very close to Iran. Russia has very weak relationships with any of the Arab countries compared to Iran. Uh, and you can see that also in Syria. That's why Russia is uh, very supportive of the Syrian government. And, uh, and that could really result in a huge uh, international war. So that's the real question is what Russia would do. So you're, you're saying that um, Ru-
0: the, the concern is there's actually the concern of a potential war looming, whereas I, I really feel for us here in France, it's like, no, it's not really going to happen. It's, it's posturing, uh, so it's no. different if, for you
2: guys. Everybody here thinks if there's a blockade, definitely there's a war. Oh, will of course. I mean, yeah. the, I mean, the, the, the it, question is, will there be a blockade? And we don't really think it's going to happen. That's the question, if that does happen. And, but and you think it's possible? Sp- the press is no, saying it might happen? With, with, with the current president of that country, anything is possible. He's an mm-hmm. idiot.
1: All right. Uh, and all the pieces are in place. I mean, the, the U.S. has a, a naval battle group, uh, an aircraft carrier group there in the region. So that is more than enough to start a war. Um, sure. one other interesting uh, thing, just to get, just you to have, get back to
2: The Iranians are just fin- finishing up their uh, uh, training exercises where they tested a lot of mi- new missiles mm. in the Gulf, in, uh, in the Hormuz uh, Strait ex- to be exact. And they were running all of their ships and submarines, so they're showing the,
1: their force and uh, saying we're serious about it. So, And let's get back to the Chinese very quickly, because the Chinese, like the Russians, are very important players in Iran. Now, one interesting trend to watch, and I've been tweeting about this for the past four weeks, is the Chinese have cut their oil imports from Iran by 50%, actually. So the Chinese have been anticipating a cutoff, and they're now shifting more and more of their supply to West Africa and Sudan and also other parts of the Middle East. So that's been that's, an interesting uh, trend to, to watch as well, is that they're distancing yeah, that's, themselves that, for the first time from Iran.
2: That's the reason why I didn't mention China because uh, since I, I work here in the business area and I do a lot of deals. And I've noticed the Chinese are very aggressive in trying to enter the Saudi market and be a part of it and making this market a major market for them. And uh, for me, I think Saudi Arabia has a huge potential, better potential for them than in Iran. So if they're being aggressive here, then they're Definitely preparing themselves to decide on which side
1: to stand. Well, yeah, so but they I... also a lot of that nuclear technology did come from China, and a lot of their uh, their weapons do come from China. So they're, yeah, you know, they're now, playing now both it, sides yeah. of it
2: yeah well, they were mostly Iran before now they 're switching sides slowly, and even the nuclear side, uh, just about all the Gulf states are now planning nuclear plants so the and the Chinese are having their eyes on this to manifest, to uh, construct all of these new plants and they yep. and, and i 'm telling you the Chinese are being very aggressive in trying to enter the market here and I've, i have I've meet Chinese almost every once a week. And uh, a Chinese group, and they are really serious about the market here.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Am I being oblivious to a, a potential catastrophe in the making here?
1: There's a potential catastrophe in the making. Absolutely. There's a. So I'm a, dismissing it too much.
2: This is this is the Middle East, Patrick. There's always a potential.
1: <laughs> there, and this is the Americans too. Don't don't underestimate the American, you know, for their you know for their miscalculations either. So yeah, all the pieces are in place. You know,
2: And also you need to keep in mind, Patrick, uh, uh, these are Iranians, these are Shias. Unlike Sunnis, Sunnis the majority of Sunnis disapprove of uh, suicide bombing. They don't believe that you can blow yourself up and go to heaven. They think you go to hell no matter what, the majority at least. And Shias, for them, they consider it an honor to blow themselves up. So mm. just think of that. Right. All
0: right. Um, yeah and I liked your your quote of it 's always a potential catastrophe in the middle east um, we i didn 't put uh, the Russian elections on the on the uh, rundown it 's obviously you know the the protests happening there were obviously something completely you know unexpected um, Of course, we realized people were going to be unhappy, but we i don 't think anyone expected they would be there would be so much protests I guess it shouldn't have been a surprise after what happened in the Arab countries but uh, let's let's skip over that uh, quickly and uh, enter our local stories with the thing that's potentially a, a, an international story also um, and that I'm arbitrarily uh, assigning to the us uh, to as the us local story it's the local uh, the 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 I was going to say the election. Uh, it's the the, pri- the beginning of the 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 first step of the the primaries. Uh, for they're, the they're picking the Republican
2: party. party guy, I'm and I'm surprised that that Ron Paul was actually third. I can't believe he even what's that high? Yeah, that that is a
0: very surprising trend. Uh, but so, okay, uh, we're not going to explain what what this is. It's just the. It was sort of, there was more emphasis put this time, for some reason I don't really understand, uh, in France, on the funny, you know, system that the caucuses are. And maybe it was just because there was not much news this week. This was uh, uh, this week in early January. Maybe there wasn't enough news to cover o- to cover other things. But we spent I... a lot of time uh, talking about the caucuses and how it's funny that you get, you know, people voting
2: with, you know yays and nays and, and by committees and, by
1: committees uh, and uh, committees but i and, think yeah. in part that's think, coming
2: uh, turkey going i was ahead? just I was, I was just gonna say i think you french are just stupid stuff about the freedom price that's why
0: <laughs> no, then we wouldn't
1: talk about the U.S.
0: That's all. That's all. These, it's it's ten years old. So I, I think
1: the interest comes from the fact that you have such a tight race. Uh, in the mm. past, you haven't had this where the, there still is not a decided front runner, even though Romney for the Republican is, Party for the well, that's all that's really in yeah. contention right now. Yeah. And so, you know, Romney has never been able to crack twenty-five percent, and you know, even in this in, the, in this caucus, he barely did that. And so, he is not the kind of consensus pick for the Republican Party. And so it really is this contested race and you know will he emerge from this process so wounded uh and so you know representing such a divided party between the the Tea Party, the evangelicals, the kind of fiscal conservatives, you know this is a very very fractured Republican Party facing a very weak Obama actually. Um and you know but this is so the story uh, that came out of Iowa was you know was Romney the fact that he won yes but that he won by so little. I mean we're yeah. talking eight votes. He won by eight votes. I mean, out it's of. really... Well, no, you know, next to, uh, you know, so it, w- you know, it was Romney, then Santorum, and then Paul. He beat yeah. Santorum by just eight votes, who is a marginal fringe candidate representing yeah. the kind of far right of the right wing. So that shows you this is not a strong candidate. Yeah. And that really, the biggest winner out of Iowa was Barack Obama. Right. You know, who, got, who, was, who was not having a strong candidate to face uh, in, in the Republican right. opposition.
0: I guess the... the... In, in France, I guess we were limited to, all right, so, uh, you know, Romney won, he's like this and like that, and he, he did implement a, uh, social security-like system in his state, but then said it wasn't that cool because, you know, we have to hate, uh, Obamacare. Um, roughly, I'm, I'm caricaturing, of course. Yeah, but there's I think a, that's a, the a way surprisingly-
1: it was... Poor understanding of American politics here in France, um, and that the French in try to impose, and Europeans in general try to impose their own narratives on the U.S. elections. For example, it's impossible for Europeans to understand why Americans don't want national health care, and so when they see like the Romney plan in Massachusetts, they say, "Ah, you see, Romney—he's like us. We like Romney." When in fact, he's not like uh, like Europeans. Okay, uh, you know, in that sense. So I think again, these are that these would, narratives. It, that please are imposed do, to- do explain why why
0: is it not the way we think it is because that's absolutely a very uh, a very accurate way of describing how the french at yeah. least in the way i see it uh, understand
1: romney so no absolutely and romney is you know romney is a republican romney worked for bain capital who was the you know one of these kind of you know the 1% which just was one of these cruel companies that buys and cuts up companies these are the very types of rules that the I french it's hard the, to kind of contain and control. The way we see Romney is, yes, he's a Republican, but he's
0: one of the good ones. Is that not the case? I, of, uh, don't, uh, no offense uh, to my Republican friends. I'm, I mean, I'm that, explaining, that is, you know. That's by not clarity.
1: for me to decide to, whether he's good or not. But at the same time, he's not anywhere near a French conservative. Uh, he has nothing in connection with a French conservative. And so okay. there was nothing that, that, rep, that a French conservative could, could look at Romney and say, yeah, he's like us. You know, you take even, I mean, not even the, the, the FN, you know, the, the, the far right here, uh, challenges the, the, the national health care and the social security state in France. I mean, of they course. challenge parts of it. But so, I mean, Romney challenges that. Romney wants to get rid of big parts of Medicare and social security. Romney wants to get rid of big parts of the social safety net. Things that would be absolutely a nightmare and abhorrent and offensive to most French people.
2: So Eric, is it, is it just me or is it a surprise that Ron Paul is so close
1: up there? No. Ron Paul does very, very well. This has been a pattern with Ron Paul. He does well in Iowa and New Hampshire, and when it breaks out into a broader population is when he starts to fumble. He's got an extraordinarily loyal uh, following. Ron Paul has been very, very consistent. Ron Paul raises his money from grassroots. Ron Paul does not get the big donations from corporations the way that Romney's getting. He's got a lot of passionate followers. He's got a, a very libertarian ideology. It's not really that Republican. It's much more libertarian. Uh, which yeah, is... he's a leftist Republican. Very leftist, isn't he? No, he's not well, leftist. He's libertarian. He's only... it's, libertarian it's... is the far right. It's not yeah. the left in any way. I mean, he wants It's, it's a, testament. It, it's, it's it's a li-
0: testament to the to the craziness of the Republican Party that nowadays, at least to me, Ron Paul seems like the reasonable one. There wow. is
1: nothing left about the libertarians because yeah. a left in the United States wants a strong, active government. The thing that the libertarians want is government out of your life. The it, only He's thing that the antichrist for a French person. It's, well, it's, he absolutely is because the yeah. only thing government should do is defense and some social services that cannot be provided by the private sector. Everything else should be done by the private sector. He wants to legalize drugs. He wants to pull American forces back from overseas. He wants to have this minimalist government that really doesn't regulate anything um which is certainly not leftist and it's it's even it's an extreme version of the right um but there's some people who are who feel alienated by the society today and they're responding very well but more importantly they like his tone and his tone is shut the you know stfu i won't i won't turn <laughs> your uh, i won't get you banned from youtube no uh, that's fine uh, i'm not you know, on youtube but, but and a rebel S- he has this STFU kind of you know, mentality and, and, and attitude that people really respond to, and he's got this truth-to-power uh, attitude that people are really responding to. The problem is a lot of people don't look deep into his policies to find out what he really means, and then they go, oh, okay, and that's, what, that's where he stumbles deeper into the election process. So
0: he's not a serious candidate.
1: He's never been considered as a serious candidate, but he has a very important role in fracturing the Republican coalition. Okay.
0: And Santorum was sort of a surprise. Well, first of all, I think everyone, even in France, were sort of relieved a little bit that the Tea Party is not seriously uh, in the race anymore with Bachmann backing down. Um, Santorum is still sort of a concern for us Uh, and my Republican friends, the two of you who are listening to this show, I know there's more than two. Uh, You know, well... Um, With the... Santorum is sort of a
1: really... Santorum. Dist- oh, no, no. Here, here's the funny thing. I mean, if the French actually knew what Santorum stood for, I think they would just, you know, laugh hysterically. So this is a guy who thinks that birth control should be regulated and legislated. And the, and remember, no abortion, even in the case of incest or rape, uh, he, he equates. Yeah, homosexual- that's basically uh, what
0: makes us, you know, our head explode.
1: Well, he also <laughs> equates homosexuality to bestiality, which is something that's uh, <laughs> offensive to Western European sensibilities. Uh, he is a he is a single issue Republican which is largely on the social issues uh, he doesn't have strong positions on international relations he doesn't have strong economic positions. this is a guy who's built his campaign on on religious extremism and and, and, and that, he did
2: well in Ohio hey, Patrick but- go ahead turkey Patrick I'm sorry I have to run something just came oh. up okay so I have to apologize Aww. so it was a pleasure talking to you guys okay you too. And into... enjoy the rest of the Republican nomination thing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Uh, and and take take care. talk to you soon. Bye, Turkey. All right. Guys. We
0: won't be too long anyway, but um, all right. Uh, keep going, Eric. Yeah,
1: We're... so I think most most Europeans would find him, and most people around the world, would, once they kind of understand what his policies are, would, would I think, react uh, a, a little bit in surprise to see that he's gotten this much support. But Ohio... So... You know, uh, you know, these are these are places, uh, you know, Iowa, I'm sorry, has a very deep, uh, very well established religious conservative base.
0: So you're saying most of, you know, maybe Europeans and a few others, won't most of the of the Americans, you know, not really be that extreme? Uh, I guess my question is, is Santorum actually more of a of a of a serious candidate than Ron Paul once he's out of this
1: first um, no, he he, he so represents. Romney. So he rep, It is Romney, but what what he represents, though, what both Ron Paul and Romney represent, is the inability of the Republican Party to kind of circle around Romney and really endorse Romney. This is mm-hmm. still this idea of searching for the alternative to Romney. So they went from Herman Cain to you know actually started with Bachman, went to Perry, went to Herman Cain, went to Gingrich, now to Santorum you know i mean they've literally gone through the entire lineup saying anybody but romney and now they're going to kind of settle on romney as he gets through mm-hmm. most likely will settle on romney and uh, and this will be a wounded candidate there's there's i think there's a broad consensus that people on the republican side uh, don't have consensus around romney that they're worried he's too moderate they're worried that he is a flip flopper they're worried that oh my he, god this
0: is so a flip flopper it's like you know we have this saying uh, only idiots don't change their minds and, and the in, fact in that politics, you would glorify the the and that's not you know the flip flopping thing just came about with um, wasn't it uh, 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 oh, God the it's super been, boring uh, go, uh, it's been with boring. Gore
1: without Gore who invented of course the internet um, it is uh, it's been a theme in American politics really for the past twenty years okay, and sorry. you know we're to the point where they literally bring up. Flip-flops to rallies to kind of say, you know, they, they said this about Obama, you know, and they're going to you now Democrats on the left now accuse Obama of flip-flopping. He was going to close Guantanamo Bay. Now he's not. He was going to, you know, restrict the number of deportations. He opposed the number of deportations under okay. the Bush administration. Now he's increased them. So there's been a lot. Uh, for Democrats to, to accuse of uh, Obama flip-flopping, but certainly that's been the challenge on the right for Romney. Hmm. Will he be able to kind of bring this party together to really mount uh, an aggressive campaign against Obama, particularly when unemployment numbers seem to be going down? Yeah, And that's really, again, it all comes down to the economy. If these unemployment numbers continue to go down, it only makes Romney's job that much harder. Okay. Fair enough. Um, can we spend
0: just two minutes on on the Bachmann case? Uh, because we were again trying to see it from the French perspective. She seemed like, you know, a, a somewhat, maybe not strong candidate, but a candidate. And all of a sudden, she's dropping out, and she's not even in the race anymore. Yeah, well,
1: she so get less than five percent or six percent of the vote in in office right, so You're
0: is that just a case of you know uh, the the very 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 vocal mo- minority actually making it seem like she had a chance but that's right us not seeing through the fact that it was such a small minority
1: This was a media narrative. The media really loved Michelle Bachman. She was very entertaining. She was great for quotes. She was great for pictures. She said a lot of provocative things. She made so many errors. I mean, there were blogs, numerous blogs that just chronicled her various errors. So she really stopped being was not being taken seriously as a as a credible candidate, even by the electorate. Uh, you know, I'd say probably a, a, a one or two months after her very strong, uh, you know, presence at the Iowa Straw Poll, which is where, mm-hmm. of course, she got her her legs. The Iowa Straw Poll was the first kind of informal. Uh, type of polling that they did you know, and this is a kind of an orchestrated event in Iowa uh, where people bus in the candidates bus in the people to vote so it 's it 's a little yeah. bit manufactured, uh, but she did well and she was very well organized in Iowa you know she comes from the midwest and she 's very ambitious and very aggressive she 's not been successful beyond her congressional seat. she went for uh, you know, senior congressional positions, and they, they batted her down. She's now gone for the president and the, the Republican nomination. She hasn't gotten very far with that. So the question now is, can she hold on to her seat uh, even in Minnesota now? So that's hmm. the bigger question. But uh, she's, she was never to be treated as a serious national candidate. She, right. again, represented a certain wing of the Republican Party, um, but a very isolationist wing, a very nationalist wing, a very pro-America wing, uh, and a very religious wing. Hmm.
0: Okay. Uh, Let's move on to France quickly. There are two things that made uh, most of the headlines in the past month. Uh, The first is uh, well basically everything related to the presidential election for those who don't know uh, we have the presidential election coming in May um, and the uh, left-wing party has their uh, candidate François Hollande and the uh, right-wing party has uh, its own candidate of course uh, the President uh, Sarkozy who's going to be a candidate for his own re-election and I guess this is the first month where we're starting to see people um, starting the the, the dance and the battle. There was a a big story about how uh, François Hollande had made disparaging comments about uh, Sarkozy in private to journalists. And then one of the journalists uh, took it public. And in my opinion, sort of, it was a bit Unfair the way it was presented yeah. um, i don 't think it was quite meant from what I understand it wasn 't quite meant as the attack that you know the the sort of um, disparaging sort of yeah disparaging attack uh, at sarkozy um and, and it w- so there's a lot of manipulation there, and at least uh, uh, people are looking for those little nuggets of, of excitement and uh, reasons to get angry. And then there's uh, Sarkozy, who was uh, um, celebrating Jeanne d'Arc's uh, Joan of Arc's... Joan of six hundred 600th anniversary. Uh, anniversary. anniversary. And, and the thing you have to know is that Joan of Arc has been uh, sort of... Uh, used by the far right uh, Front National party um as its symbol and it's a very it's become a somewhat uh dirty well I wouldn't say dirty thing but it's it's really associated with the Front National and the fact that Sarkozy went to celebrate her 600th birthday was he clearly made uh, very clear allusions to the fact that she is a national hero, and you shouldn 't leave it it 's insulting her to leave her to uh, the right wing extremists, which is of course you know it's, it's, prob- it''s you can read it two ways you can read it as uh, he is actually he actually cares about this issue, or you can read it as um, he is starting his uh dance of seduction to those uh um, people who are not who have given up on the normal quote unquote on the regular politicians and who have uh, uh, sought refuge in the far rights uh, uh, discourse and I guess it's a little bit a, a little bit of both but most everyone uh, most journalists I've heard reporting on this are are obviously reporting on the fact that this is the beginning of the election and he's starting to, you know, put little hints that will then later become useful for uh, gathering the electorate he needs. Of course, we know that five years ago when he won the election, uh, he did get support from some of the people who had previously gone to the far right. So it started.
1: No, it's it's definitely underway now. We are in full election mode here in France. And remember that Sarkozy is not facing. You know, you you, you mentioned about the, so- the the Parti Socialiste on the on the left, which is Francois Hollande, but he's also facing a very very serious threat from Marine Marine Le Pen on the right. Right. Uh, for for fracturing in the Front National, the National Front, for fracturing his conservative base, and so he can lose in the first round simply by virtue of the fact that he doesn't get enough, uh, that his base fractures, that the right wing doesn't coalesce around him. The same problem that Romney has, frankly. So what he's having to do, he he has to to tack to the right in order to pull those more extreme voters in. And and, and there's this very cynical politics that's been going on in France now, not just by Sarkozy, but by a number. This This question of the identité nationale, this idea of national identity. What does it mean to be French? And this is one of these discussions that's been going on. And and it's a very, very dangerous conversation that's had here because French, the traditional idea of being French is white and Christian. And so when, you know, Sarkozy and the UMP go to churches in the white countryside and raise this question of identité nationale, um, that's a very cynical uh, play. And that, in my view, that is, uh, you know, the the UMPs, you know, move for the far right. It is. Well, you know, it's I wouldn't.
0: Hmm. I think there is a genuine concern uh, in the country that – you know, a somewhat populist concern that, you know, the French identity is being – things like – people might say it's an artificial debate, but things like the uh, the veil, you know, the full veil, the Borca, um, there is a concern that uh, – the, the um, uh, second and third generation of uh, immigrants from uh, North Africa and Arab countries are are sort of diluting some of the values that are not just the French, you know, white and Christian values, but the Western values. And it might be manufactured, uh, but the concern exists. So um, I don't the know that fe- it's... Uh,
1: well, the fear exists, and... and, the, and, 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 and I'm and sorry, just, Uzzi... to, just to explain oh, yeah.
0: this, this far... Uh, far-wing, you know, uh, far-right electorate thing in my opinion, one of the reasons that the Front National has become so powerful is that these concerns are not being addressed by the, again, normal, the regular politicians. The the people that you would expect to talk about these things and you know, to, it's almost as if these issues are being demonized demonized, and the, the, the Front National is using them to gain elections because everyone else is not daring to approach the, the issue for fear of being accused Uh, Of being you know accused of being uh, Racist and and that is a real problem in the French politi- political uh, arena, in my opinion.
1: So, okay. So let's just quickly kind of step back here. So it's very easy for the UMP and for the ruling government to go after 3,000 women who wear the niqab. Uh, who a majority of those women, by the way, are French white converts to Islam. They're not even immigrants. Mm-hmm. A much more complicated problem is actually dealing with the huge levels of unemployment, the disparities in educational access in the in the suburbs into these poor areas, and and what happens in the French debate. Is they put all of the burden on immigrants on the immigrant shoulder and say, we've let you into the country. The fact that you're not assimilating is your fault. And I think that's a very interesting aspect of all of this. You is know, that- it's interesting you see it this way. I don't, I really don't think that's what it- the.
0: French politicians are doing
1: no, but there's. The, it's not. I'm not talking about the politicians. I'm talking about the body politic. That idea that you said that there's a perception in France that immigrants are diluting French culture, and mm-hmm. in fact, what what I think the, the uh, political system is me, not doing. Let me doing, be more
0: specific. Sure, there's an idea that uh, immigrants, uh, and you, I, I know how how this sounds, but there's an idea that immigrants might, down the line, you know, not assimilate in in such. Uh, uh, In such an extent That it would dilute French Not even dilute French culture But uh, uh, change what it means To be French it and,
1: absolutely yeah. will. I can guarantee you, one hundred percent, as a resident of Los Angeles, California, <laughs> where 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 white Christian culture is a minority culture, and even English is a second language in in Los Angeles. One hundred and twenty six languages are spoken there. Uh, it will change. I work yeah. in an office here, and in it's France. changed for centuries. I mean, France. It is has. A It's a open dynamic. Country. And yeah. this is the frustrating part that I have is that France already is a changed country. Yeah. Paris, Marseille, Lyon, uh, Grenoble. These are cities that are are incredibly diverse. This debate has the reality on the ground as we say the facts on the ground as uh, you know to quote Ariel Sharon have already changed. The mm-hmm. fact that 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 white conservatives are having this debate about whether that will change is irrelevant because you take the subway in Paris and that train has already moved. We are already living in a diverse society. You're living in a society that is multicultural. I know Sarkozy declared multiculturalism a failure. And I think, what does that mean in a context where you go to, you know, you go out to the mall in La Défense in the suburbs of Paris, and you've got every color under the rainbow at that mall, by the way, happily getting along with one another.
2: Yeah. Uh, You know, for the most
1: part, you know, and so uh, this fear of of, of French culture being diluted to me is kind of, again, it's cynical in my view, because French culture is evolving. French culture is changing. And, you know,
0: but, you know, I don't think people are are, uh, denying the fact that it's evolving there. You will be hard
1: pressed finding about it. Uh, you know when 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 Marine Le Pen goes into the 20th arrondissement to to pick on the mosques, uh, not everybody's happy about the changes that are happening here no, in. No, that's true. Ireland.
0: But you know, you go in some areas of Paris, uh, in the north, for example, near uh, Barbes. We're getting very specific here, but um, you have uh, during Ramadan, for example, there are it's really fringe cases, but the the kind of thing that that uh, uh, make you stop and and and. Notice um, streets being blocked because uh, uh, Muslim um, uh, the prayers, practitioners the prayers are praying up. in the street. You know, sure. and that is something that does frighten people. And and I would say, you know, uh, you have to build more mosques for these uh, for these people to be able to practice their faith uh, uh, in a, uh, um, the way they want to. They but the fact that's the qu- the problem, I think, and. Again, maybe I'm being a, a, naive. It, it's the fact that it's not being addressed by most people. It, yeah, these and, are questions that you cannot ask and, and you in, cannot talk about in the French uh, political arena.
1: And in the 13th, during Chinese New Year, people, you know, light incense and the whole streets change there too. I mean, this is a dynamic city where you're going to see that happen. I mean, there, you know, the fear comes from, I think, people playing on this. And again, I think there's some very powerful forces across the political spectrum that are leveraging people's economic fears. And there's a lot of economic fear in France today. Uh, very high unemployment, lots more job insecurity. You know, young people go from, you know, short-term contract to short-term contract, and it's really Really nice to have somebody to blame, and immigrants, and the well, Roma, and others. And this is the you same know, again, across I, the world. And and this is this idea, this French, this a question of what does it mean to be French? Are you with us? Or are you against us? Is I
0: really think
1: this is
0: an American. I'm sorry, but an Amer- this is my that narrative are- that you're saying yeah. I'm putting to it. Fair enough. <laughs> you know, it's we're, the American we're all
1: prisoners of our own narrative, that's by the way.
0: That, yeah, that's true. And I really don't think you know. It's true that some people of course will think like that. I really don't think the basis of the issue are it's not, you know, the Arabs are coming to take our jobs or the no. the, the, the the others the other guys are coming to take our jobs. That's not no. where the discussion is anymore. You know, the, the I the, agree with you on that. Yeah, the, the North Africans are part of French society now and they're they, as you were saying, we are getting along incredibly well. It's mm-hmm. A, a, a few cases of fringe which probably will never actually have any bearing on on actual society it's just stuff you see on the news but that cannot be discussed and that provoke these these people who have these concerns to flee to the far right um and but, I think that's the issue. But yeah,
1: but there's another issue here: is that if, and this is going to be one of the, you know, that mm. one of the areas that at France uh, France, 24, France 24 that I'm going to be directing our coverage to go into, is you go into the bon Dieu, which yep. are the suburbs here, and these these massive suburbs, huge mm. populations. Now, remember, France is the inverse of a lot of uh, the uh, the opposite of London, where in London the wealthy live on the, you know, like in the United States, the sub the wealth is in the suburbs, not in the core of the center in the right. city. In France, it's the opposite. In Paris, the the city center is extremely wealthy and the periphery is, is very, very poor. Um, and in, you're seeing in these suburbs these huge populations of alienated, of isolated, and of dispossessed youth, um, particularly immigrant youth who don't feel a connection to the society, don't have a connection economically, don't have a connection educationally, and don't have a connection professionally now. And it's going to be very, very interesting to see where that goes. Um, And that's a surging population, by the way, uh, both illegal and legal. Um, And and, and I'm going to be curious to evaluate that and have our reporters start looking into their role in the election, both in terms of being voters, but also how the politicians are responding to them. Don't forget, 2005 wasn't that long ago when those suburbs erupted. In my personal opinion, what happened in London is a preview of what's going to happen elsewhere in Europe. Uh, the summer with the, with the unrest, and I think the same type of dispossessed youth in London is also here in France and in, in well, Paris. We've seen it in Grenoble, we've seen it in Lyon, we've seen it in Marseille, and it hasn't happened here recently in, in Paris, but I think it will.
0: Well, as you said, it happened in 2005. And That's right. It wasn't it that was, long ago. Yeah, and it, and it was definitely you know riots to the, the scale of what we've seen in, the, in, uh, in London. Yeah. Three weeks
1: of uncontained violence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so those conditions are there and how the political parties deal with those conditions and how the, po- the population at large is responding to that is what I think is very, very interesting.
0: And I think one of the, the things we will probably agree about is the fact that uh, this is uh, economically on the urban level absolutely the one issue that is the biggest, most important issue uh, in the country, and it has not been properly addressed by either party in power ever. No, It has been a it, problem you, it, for 40, 50 years.
1: But let's, let's take a look at some of the new legislation that's come out of the Assemblée Nationale, the, the Parliament here. Uh, they're making it harder now for foreign students to stay in France after yep. they've graduated from French universities, so they're getting tougher on foreigners, uh, which to me is a devastating mistake. Um, you know, because the the last people you want to kick out are people who speak fluent French, understand the and local education, well
0: integrated and, and, and well, well integrated
1: and well educated. Yeah. And so they're kicking out engineers, they're kicking out PhDs, they're kicking out you know the wrong people you want to kick out. I mean, this is provincialism at its best. Um, and this is I thought the United States had the monopoly on this, and apparently we're not alone. So uh, so these are some. This is not necessarily a positive trend that that the French political system is going in when dealing with you know globalization and dealing with you know the assimilation of, uh, of foreigners
0: it's definitely an interesting uh, tip, uh debate and topic which i wish we could spend a lot more time on but uh we probably will in the coming months so uh the french elections is in may expect a lot more about this uh, in the next episodes um the other topic that has been <laughs> rather big in france is the um breast implants issue with uh the, the, it's a certain type of uh, breast implant, a certain type of uh, 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 material, which is uh pip in French. I don't know how it's called in English. Well, maybe. pip
1: is what we've been calling it, pip. you know.
0: And um, it, I, my my uh, fiance had an interesting. <laughs> uh, n- remark about this Basically what's happening is that um, These implants are uh, carcinogenic uh, A certain batch of them Or maybe that type is carcinogenic And so uh, France has issued a, uh, 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 An order to Have them removed And they're going to pay for the removal But not for the replacement Unless it was obviously for uh, Medical uh, uh, you know, uh, reasons Not cosmetic reasons um, And the 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 remark my girlfriend had, my fiancé had, was it's very interesting. I wonder whether or not it would be such a big piece of news if the implant wasn't a breast implant, if it was another type, you know, some hip replacement thing. And it's not being treated as the sexy thing or as the uh, specifically breast thing. For some reason is i think more covered because it it is the breast implant thing listen the
1: the french have always had a particular affinity for breasts okay i mean (laughs) on the on the newsstands at the beaches you know it's not it's not something that people are afraid of talking about you know as it would be in the united states what the more salient part of the story uh is the guy behind I I'm forgetting his name the guy behind this story uh who is the, the, the who had the company who went from kind of selling I think it was cognac and he had you know he had a very checkered past and so I had I was suggesting joking in our newsroom the other day you know from booze to breasts you know <laughs> this guy is gone and he's a very very sketchy character yeah. uh and and he had and he even knew and that's the part that you know he knew that some of these breast implants were tainted Uh, and Mm -hmm. that's gonna be the interesting part. So follow, you know, when you look at this story, follow the character behind it. Again, his name escapes me who he is, uh, but he... Uh, he was just, you know, trafficking in breast implants because that was the next best thing that he could be yeah. doing if it wasn't, you know, after he was, you know, you know, moving in alcohol sales and whatnot. And so he, uh, this, this story just gets, you know, better and better uh, as it moves forward. It, it's tragic for obviously those people who have yeah. suffered, um, but in terms of the the layers of it, now the other part of it is all these stories now who come into the in, into the news cycle. Do they become political? election stories. So how does the government respond? You know, does that become politicized in the election? And that might be another part of this, too. The aggressive government response may be a ploy for the female vote.
0: Yeah. And in, in, in the UK, for example, they've had the same problem, but didn't require the you know the breast implants and to be removed.
1: So. They're saying it was a different batch, and they were yeah. saying that there were different. You know, it wasn't the same. You know, the U, it's not that the UK is tolerating a certain level of you know carcinogenic material, and the French aren't. Um, they uh, they do, we do just thing love our breasts better, That's, which we, we can, can say. It. And frankly, considering the level that French smoke, you know, carcinogens are something that you were very well acquainted with. But at there this point, going. you know, people are. Uh, you know, this is a serious story, and that a lot of women have yeah. unfortunately been affected. But there is a lighter side to the story with the 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 colorful characters behind it.
0: All right. Let's uh, conclude the, the, the episode with maybe, if you have one. Uh, well, you took mine. Storage. I was
1: actually gonna lead with the, with the Pip story on that. Oh, and that was going to be my, my, my funny story of the week.
0: No, but I mean, uh, you know, something from maybe from China or maybe even Africa.
1: Well, you know, one of the things to watch for is, and I'll give a little kind of shout-out to, I don't usually do this uh, to a competitor network, but a very good friend of mine, Solange Chadelard, who's a, a PhD a candidate at Sciences Po here in Paris, she just produced a documentary for Al Jazeera English on the Chinese in Africa. I have seen it. It's on Al Jazeera's website right now for people in power. is the, the show. I highly, highly recommend it. Um, the China and Africa trend is one of the most important geopolitical trends of the century right now. And it is transforming politics. And her documentary really did an amazing job at, at kind of getting to the core of it. And she went to Zambia uh, and met with Michael Sada, the new president, and went with Chinese peasants who are living in Zambia and whatnot. So check that out on Al Jazeera's website, uh, The Chinese in Africa.
0: Excellent. Think, can you yeah. can you send me a link to this? So sure. I'm, it's uh, it's uh, it called...
1: Now, the title of the documentary is King Cobra Meets the Dragon. So King Cobra is the name of Michael Sada, his nickname in, uh, in Zambia, and I highly recommend it.
0: Excellent. Thank you. Um, all right. Well, I guess uh, that is going to be it for our show. Uh, you can go to – what's the address again? Uh, Thephiliasclub.com. It will bring you to the, uh, to the site, uh, and you'll find the links uh, – well, specifically the link to that uh, documentary. Uh, there and uh hey uh, Eric, where can people get more of that wonderful insight uh, from you but th- i again i'll say it again, he is a very Uh, Eric is a very serious option if you're looking to get an informed uh, opinion from someone who knows so many different markets, uh, markets, so many different uh, countries and cultures, and get a a sort of different view on on the world and the news that we're uh, uh, engulfed in uh, here. I always say that one of my complaints for everyone, not just Americans, is that we... Sort of get too much of the echo chamber of having the same opinion repeated to us and and you know uh, confirming sort of our views on the world and this is one of the reasons why I started this show, uh, so I really think that Eric does provide a great alternative to that uh, because he has a, a very um, uh, over Overgrounding? No. Overgrounding? I'm going to hire Overall you to do my TV.
1: PR for me. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's, this no, is true, fantastic. You know, well, I, I, I really appreciate do think it. So, so uh, with, you can, yeah, can find me uh, on Twitter at uh, uh, e. o. Landers, so That's E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. And I'm tweeting every day on China. That's exclusively on China Africa stories. We've also just launched uh, with uh, a, a journalist in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm sorry, in South Africa. I've launched uh, the uh, China in Africa podcast and a new website. The, the China Africa project is coming out. Uh, Uh, Probably in the month of February. So we got a lot going on there. And then, of course, at uh, uh, France24.com, you can find everything that we're doing there on our France 24 Facebook page. I am the moderator. So if you want to kind of follow international news, it's me behind the scenes there. So all the the text is me and all the arguments that I get in with everybody on the France 24 (laughs) English uh, Facebook page. That's also me as well. So if you want a, a good debate, especially with a lot of African and Middle Eastern people, that is a great place to go. Excellent. And, of course, on Google+. Plus. And, of uh, course, on Google+. Google. Plus. Fantastic. Uh,
0: well, thank you very much. I will also uh, mention Turkey's Twitter, which has changed. Uh, if, you're re- if you were already following him, you've been uh, uh, transported over. But I forgot to ask him about this. Uh, Saudi is not him anymore. Uh, I don't know if he gave it out or maybe, Great you know. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, now he's Saudi Turkey. And Turkey is with an I, not E-Y. So, uh, you can go follow him there, and he is, as always, very entertaining and letting us know exactly when and how he's going to have a cigar. Um, every single day so that's always good Uh, I myself well you can find all my links at patrickbeja.com so do that if you're interested and uh, we will definitely talk to you again uh, in a month uh, for another episode so thank you very much again uh, Eric for joining us and I hope you you will uh, come back soon Uh,
1: oh anytime
0: thanks a lot thanks a lot guys and talk to you soon
1: is part of the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there! Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods